which finally led her to asking me to move out of home. And as a young 18, 19-year-old girl, that was a really difficult moment for me in my life. I think, for one, I'd always kind of been in a home where everything was provided for, even though it was difficult, um, and there certainly were frustrations to it, like there was something to be relied on in terms of providence and money and food and all of that. Um, and secondly, it was just hard because it felt like almost like a rejection and an abandonment. But what was amazing is that what resulted from that happening was that I moved into a digs with two guys. Their names were Tula and Keith. Some of you might know them. They were at Red, Red Point Church. <laughs> you know them, Tubbs. And um, really, my time spent in that digs with Tula and Keith was one of the most significant moments of my life. It was one of the, I look back as one of the most happiest, memorable times that I've ever kind of experienced what true gospel-centered family and community um, actually feels like. We used to do this thing called Champagne Mondays, which were just incredible. We used to kind of live on couscous and pork sausages most of the time, which looking back now sounds kind of gross, but we loved it. And um, really, they used to be subjected to like hours and hours of the Mamma Mia soundtrack being played over and over again, because the Mamma Mia one movie had just come out. And so I had that on repeat. And we used to honestly watch the movie The Holiday. I don't know who here has watched it probably once a week. And so they were just so happy to listen to my music, to watch my like rom-coms with me. And really, they just showed me incredible love. I had really never felt that loved and cared for as when I lived with them in that home. It was incredible. And what God began to teach me in that moment was that I could trust people. I could trust community. Um, he grew me through what was a really difficult time and learning to love people because he showed me how to love people by how I was loved by them. Um, and as I mentioned, also money was a little bit of concern when this happened because um, I managed to find a job, thanks to God, but it, it didn't pay a lot. It was kind of stressful. I'd come from a previously wealthy environment, so it was a lot to kind of adapt to. But what's amazing is that in this time, in this struggle, in this difficult moment, God really began to teach me about the fact that he is my provider, that I am not to put my trust or my hope in money or material things, but actually he is the one who sees our need, as Krista was sharing about Tunisia. He is the one who knows where we're at, what we need, and in the midst of the pain and the struggle and perhaps questions and doubts and fears, he is there at work, changing us to become more like Jesus and teaching us how to trust and put our hope in him. I had peace in the midst of the chaos because God was with me, walking with me. He never left me. He never abandoned me. He showed me that he was the good shepherd that David so beautifully writes about in Psalm 23. And this is what David says about God in Psalm 23. Are the slides not working? Okay. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is who God is. He is the good shepherd who is with us in the midst of our pain and suffering. He leads us along paths of righteousness, working in our lives so that we can become more like him, even in our deepest and darkest moments. He was walking with me through my valley, offering me hope that was beyond what this world could ever offer. And as I mentioned before, for each of us, we always kind of view suffering as an inevitable thing that's going to happen in our lives. Pain and suffering is part of what it means to be human. But there's also a part of us that questions that and goes, this just doesn't feel right. Surely this is not how um, life is supposed to be. Surely it's not supposed to be so hard sometimes. And we see in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that actually that is not how God intended for the world to be. He created it perfectly. Everything he created, he said it is good. And when he made us, he said it is very good. God created the earth perfectly and there was no pain and suffering. But in Genesis 3, we see that the story starts to go wrong. We see that Adam and Eve rebel against God and so sin enters the world and it starts to affect everything. Sin is the result and the cause of every pain and suffering that we feel and are exposed to on this earth. There's almost a natural cause and effect that happens when sin enters the world. For example, our pride and selfishness, the sin, leads to broken relationships and pain. Our greed and consumerism has led to the earth itself becoming um, environmentally unstable. It's led to human poverty, hunger, and suffering. Suffering in this world is a result of sin. But it's important to note that when we talk about sin and its consequences, we are not referring to this as a way that God is punishing us. When we experience difficult moments in our lives, that is not God punishing us. I think subconsciously at some level, many of us believe that when bad things happen to us, that God is punishing us for something that we've done wrong in our past for something that he is not approving of, that we must now suffer for. And this idea is more commonly known as karma. It's the belief that everything we do that is wrong has to be paid for. It can't go unaccounted for. But what the Bible and scriptures show us is that it has been paid for fully in the person of Jesus. That when he came to die on the cross for our sins so that we could be reconciled to him, that everything that we've done wrong has been paid for fully in him. The idea of karma is completely shattered when we look at the life of Jesus. No person on this earth suffered more than him, and yet we see he was totally blameless. Tim Keller puts it this way. There is nothing more important for a person to realize that they contribute nothing to their own salvation we can be fully accepted and counted righteous in God's sight through faith in Christ, solely by free grace. To understand and grasp this is to finally know freedom from the crushing burden of proving yourself to society, family, other people, or even to yourself. It means freedom from the future, from anxiety regarding your eternal destiny, 
It is liberating and it enables you to face all suffering, knowing that because of the cross, God is absolutely for you and that because of the resurrection, everything will be all right in the end. The belief that we are saved by our virtue, the state of our hearts or our good works injects a heavy layer of uncertainty and insecurity into our lives. If God's treatment of us is conditioned by the quality of our lives and the quality of our lives is always far from perfect, then we can never be sure he is completely for us, loving us. To escape this uncertainty requires that you dispel any illusion that through your wisdom and strength, you can either create a safe and good life for yourself or put God in the position of owing you such a life. I think for many people, the pain and suffering that they experience in their lives is a huge stumbling block for them and their relationship with God. I think for many people across the world, it even makes them question whether God can truly exist. When pain and suffering happens in our lives, we often ask the question, if God is so powerful and able to put an end to this, why doesn't he? If he is a God of love who is for us, why would he allow us to go through these kind of experiences? If God does exist, why would he not intervene? And as followers of Jesus, we probably spend a fair amount of time praying into the pain and suffering that we see throughout the world, in our lives and in the lives of others. And we probably sometimes find ourselves asking the question, God, why aren't you putting an end to this? Surely it doesn't have to be that this way. Surely the earth doesn't have to be filled with pain and suffering and difficult moments and experiences. And I think if we're honest, this is a very complex and nuanced question that really has a very complex and nuanced answer, which I'm not going to be able to fully get into this morning. But if I can say this, the reality is that if God was to put an end to the pain and suffering in this world, he would need to put an end to all of us. He would need to remove humanity because it is us, our humanity and our humanness that we cause the pain and suffering that we experience on earth. It is through our actions and our sin that we hurt others and other people hurt us. But instead of removing us from the earth, instead of getting rid of humanity, God instead, as his nature always shows, approaches us in grace. He offers us a living and eternal hope that ultimately we will be free from pain and suffering, but more than that, we will become more and more like him and that he is working in the midst of our pain and suffering offering us a hope that is beyond what this world could ever offer. In 1 Peter 1, we read about this hope. So if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there with me this morning, or you can follow on the screen behind me. And 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 9 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor 
when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And we see in verse 6 and 7 that Peter is talking about this metaphor that is commonly used throughout the scriptures. We see he is using the metaphor of gold being refined to explain how God is at work in us changing and shaping and transforming us to become more like Jesus. How God is at work in our lives, working every single situation for the good. And I've been working in a jewelry store for the past seven months. So I've been able to see the process of how gold is refined and made, and it's been really cool. And what's interesting about gold is that if you were to probably stumble across it in the street, it wouldn't look like anything spectacular when it hasn't been refined. It kind of has, um, it's marred by its blemishes and impurities. And kind of looking at it, you wouldn't think that this, piece of unrefined gold held any value. But the truth of the matter is that once refined, it holds immense value. In fact, even in its impure state, it holds immense value. And that is exactly how God sees every single one of us. Even in our unrefined, impure, um, marred, sometimes a few blemishes on us, that is how God sees us. He values us. That is why he sent Jesus to die for us, because he values us as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us as we are. He in the refining imagery is the refiner and we are the lump of gold. And what's so interesting is that when a lump of gold is put into the fire and as it's begin to refine, that gold cannot be destroyed. It cannot be kind of turned into ashes. But what you do find when gold is refined is that all the impurities, all the things that were kind of um, detracting from its true value are burned off in the fire and any imperfections that rise to the surface are skimmed off by the goldsmith. The refining process is the evidence of God working in our lives as we go through our difficult moments and trials and struggles. We are being refined by him. As our weaknesses come to the surface, he tenderly and lovingly helps us to kind of be refined and made more and more like Jesus. In his book, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering, Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, suffering can refine us rather than destroy us because God himself walks with us in the fire. And the truth is that God can use our most difficult, darkest, most horrid moments in our lives to do something beautiful with our lives, to use it as a testimony of his glory and of his grace and how he does not leave us or abandon us or forsake us. He is going to use those situations to shape us into becoming more like his beautiful son, Jesus. But we also have a role to play in this. This is not a passive process for us. And that's a lot of what we've been speaking throughout this series is that, yes, God is the one who changes us and works in us, but we also have a part or a role to play. Because the truth of the matter is you can look at a lot of people in life who have experienced hard times and it has only made them more bitter and more resentful. And then some people go through hard times when they're walking with Jesus. We see that he uses them in the most beautiful way. There is a well-known saying that I think most of us would know that says, time heals all wounds. But I don't think that's necessarily true. 
I think that it's what we do with that time that counts and that shapes us and molds us and to become people who are like Jesus. As Tim Keller said, it's when we walk with God through the fire that we are shaped more and more to become like him. We are refined and we are changed. So the most obvious thing then is that we actually need to be walking with God through our pain and suffering. He is a God who extends his hand to us. He calls us to himself. And I think for a lot of us, we can hold incorrect views about God, especially when we are in the midst of pain and suffering. I think it's only natural for us to have these questions and doubts and fears and concerns. And so we can often feel that maybe God isn't as good as we once thought he was that he is a God who abandons, who doesn't intercede in our lives for us, who's not at work in our lives. We can question who he is. And when we don't know who God is, when we are doubting his nature, when we are doubting his character, we're not going to want to walk with him. We're going to want to run away from him in our pain. If we believe that God is punishing us for the bad things we have done, we are not going to be drawn near to him. We're going to want to run away from him. Suffering is unbearable when we aren't sure that God is for us. Romans 8, verse 31 to 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Suffering is unbearable when we aren't sure that God is with us. Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Suffering is unbearable when we aren't sure that he cares about us and he cares for us. Psalm 147 verse 3, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Suffering is unbearable when we aren't sure that he is at work in our lives despite our circumstances. Romans 8 verse 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And suffering is unbearable when we aren't sure that we are coming to a God who can empathize with us. Mark 14 verse 34, it's Jesus speaking and he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow even to the point of death. Luke 22, verse 44, and his, this is Jesus, anguish was such that his bloody sweat fell to the ground as he prayed. Hebrews 12, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When we come to God in our suffering, in our difficult moments, we come to a God who has experienced it all, who knows profoundly what it means to suffer. The cross where Jesus died for us and was resurrected back to life by God shows us exactly the length to which God is willing to walk with us in our suffering. He was willing to walk to the cross and experience the most ultimate suffering that we can't even possibly imagine. He has been there. He knows what it's like to suffer and he will not abandon and reject us. He will be at work in our lives as Romans 8 so beautifully says. And he will use these moments for our good to work all things for the good in our lives and help us to become more and more like him. So what are some of the ways that we can practically walk with God through our pain and suffering? 
And I think what's interesting about this idea of walking with God is that it's not a sprint. It's not a marathon. It's not something that we're just trying to like get right straight away, as Krista was kind of alluding to in the prayer time before, that actually a walk with God is this rhythmic, non-dramatic, day-by-day, step-by-step process where we slowly walk with him. It's steady and there is progress, but it's not something that's always going to happen quickly. We're not always going to kind of find in those moments that our suffering just suddenly disappears and we're not going to find that we all of a sudden just become exactly like him. But there is a promise that when we walk with him, that we will find a peace that surpasses all understanding and we will be shaped more to become like him. And so a couple of weeks ago, Grant preached on training what we do, and he kind of went through all the different spiritual practices of how we spend time with God and are changed by him. So I'm not going to go into all of those this morning, but they are amazing ways or practices that we can participate in during our times of suffering to kind of walk with God through them. And so you can download that sermon and have a listen to it. But this morning, I'm just going to quickly look at four ways that we can do this, that we can walk through God, um, with God through our pain and suffering in a way that shapes and transforms us to become more like him. And the first one is commitment to community. And I know Brain shared about this last week, so I'm not going to go into a huge amount of detail in talking about this. But I really do believe that it is so important for each and every one of us that we are real and honest and vulnerable with the people in our lives about where we're at, that we can actually share our struggles and our pain with them, so that they, they can be there for us. Because we know that God uses the people in our lives to help us, to strengthen us, to encourage us, to support us in our most difficult times. That God can speak through them to us. That we don't have to be alone. That we don't have to carry these heavy burdens by ourselves, But instead we can share them with one another and be encouraged by one another. That we can share testimonies with people who are suffering and going through hard times of how God has come through for us, how God is faithful, so that we can encourage and spur one another on to look to Jesus and to put our trust and hope in him. We can pray for one another that actually God would intervene in our circumstances and that he would work everything for the good in our lives. The second thing we can do to walk with God practically is by reading scripture. And I think I mentioned this before, that actually what we think about God is so important. A.W. Tozer has this very famous quote where he says, the thing that comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And like I said, what we think about God, his character and his nature is important because it will either draw us to him or it will draw us away from him. And as we read through scripture, as we meditate on the the beautiful Bible, it actually shows us a very clear picture of who God is and what the gospel is all about. It encourages us to turn to him and to put our hope and our trust in him. And it's also a way that God can speak to us and comfort us and encourage us in our difficult moments. Thirdly, we can practice um, walking with God through our pain and suffering through prayer and lamenting. And I think the book of Psalms so beautifully illustrates exactly what it means to lament to God. I think for some of us, often we feel like we cannot be honest, real, and raw with God about how we truly feel and how things are really affecting us. We honest, honestly sometimes feel like we can't question God. We can't ask him why. We can't fuss through our, our fears and our questions and our doubts with him. 
but he is a God who is not intimidated by those things. He welcomes us to come to him, even in our doubts and our fears and our questioning. We don't have to put on a happy smile while we quietly just kind of like die inside. That is not what the kind of relationship that God wants to have with us. He wants us to be honest and open. God hears our cries. He cares about them. And when we come to God, we know that we come to a God who can empathize with our pain because he has been through it all. In 1 Peter 1 verse 6, Peter wrote in that scripture saying, In all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And I just want to make it clear, when Peter is talking about rejoicing in the midst of our grief, he's not talking about emitting happy emotions. He's not talking about smiling and laughing and pretending like there's nothing wrong. Instead, he is saying to us, because we have a hope that is in Jesus, if we are followers of Jesus, that we can rejoice even in the toughest times because we know that ultimately the gospel has saved us from immense suffering, that actually we have a God who is involved in our lives. It's those things that we can rejoice in even in the midst of our sorrow. There can be hope and rejoicing in our grief. And lastly, we can walk with God through our suffering, becoming more like Jesus when we put our trust and our hope in him. And I think, honestly, when we experience suffering in this world, and this world is all that we have to hope in, that truly is unbearable. But as followers of Jesus, we know that our ultimate hope is in him. In 1 Peter 1, verse 3 to 5, it says, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. In Jesus, we have a living hope, a delightful inheritance. The promise is that actually, no matter what we experience on this life here on earth, ultimately we know that God has beautiful and wonderful eternal things in store for us. So the question for us is, will we trust him in those difficult moments? Will we trust him even when it feels like our prayers aren't being answered in the way that we would perhaps want them to be? Do we trust that God is ultimately faithful and that his love endures forever and that he is for us as Romans 8 says he is? God's promise to us is ultimately that no matter what we face on earth, whether it's reconciled here on earth or not, or one day in heaven, his promise to us is that he is restoring and redeeming every single thing all of creation, our lives, our hope is in him. Ultimately, we know that there is an eternal promise that is found in Jesus. We read about this promise in Revelations 21. And and in this promise, we see that God says that one day we will be a people who are with him and he will be a God who is with us, where there will be no mourning, no crying, no pain, no suffering. But in this place, God will be making the whole of creation new. He says, behold, I am making all things new. And that really is the promise to us as followers of Jesus, that if we come to him, if we put our hope and trust in him, if even in the midst of pain and suffering when we really don't know what to do and things aren't going right, that we can trust that he is at work in our lives. We can trust that he is shaping us more and more into his image. And as we become more and more like him, we will experience the joy that is found in him. Will we commit to walking with him? 
as he is committed to walking with us. And when I was preparing for the sermon, um, God just gave me this image, this reminder of something that I kind of went through as a child. And I remember kind of sitting in my bedroom at night. I think I must have been 11 or 12. I think maybe 10 or 11. And I was lying in bed. And um, growing up in my home, it was really profoundly difficult. Um, I kind of never knew where I stood or if I was good enough or not or had no idea. And um, it just really made me feel like I couldn't endure it anymore. Like I just couldn't actually carry on in this way. And I remember the one night just lying in my bed and specifically looking at my windows and there were like these burglar bars on them. And I remember just thinking, if I could just find a way to get those burglar bars off, if I could find a way to be able to jump through that window, run away, escape the circumstances that I found myself in, um, that that would be amazing. That actually if I could run away and be free, that would be just the ultimate. I remember actually often feeling like I would rather die than be in the situation I found myself in. Um, and I think for some of us, maybe this morning, we are going through things in our lives that actually no one knows about, that you've maybe kept hidden or just can't even bring yourself to share or deep hurts that maybe didn't even, aren't happening now, but they've happened in the past, and that suffering and pain has deeply affected you and deeply affected your walk with God or where you find yourself this morning. And I believe this morning that God is calling us to himself, that he is that good shepherd who brings us green pastures, still waters, who leads us down the path of righteousness towards himself, that he is calling us to himself, no matter if we've even caused the suffering for ourselves, we've done things that have made our life a mess, that actually, despite all of that this morning, he is calling us to himself, that he is not calling us to run away or try and escape through our bedroom windows, but he's actually saying, I've got more for you than that. I call you to me, and I want to restore you. I want to redeem your life. I want to renew your life. And I want to begin a relationship with you where you are forever changed and renewed. He wants us to come to him, the one who is and will make all things new. And so if you could stand with me this morning. I don't know where you find yourself this morning. Maybe you're in a really good season. And that's fantastic. Like God is a God of love and, and, and lavishes love on us. Um, but if you do find yourself in a good place this morning, can I ask that you cry out to God and ask him to use you to help someone else who maybe is not in a good season. That is who God is. He is using each and every one of us to reach out to the people around us who are struggling and who are in pain. He wants to use our lives to love other people. And secondly, maybe as I mentioned before, you've actually experienced quite a bit of pain and struggling in your life. You feel like perhaps God has abandoned you. He has rejected you. He's not for you. He doesn't care about you. I just really pray this morning that perhaps as worship begins, you could just fix your eyes on him, look to him, ask him to show and reveal to you in a personal way just how much he loves and cares for you. And just that this morning, God would be at work in every single one of our hearts, just changing us, transforming us to become more like him.
putting our hope and our trust in him and not in the things of this world. So God, we really do look to you this morning. We come to you. We know that our ultimate hope is in you, Father. Thank you, thank you, thank you for the cross. Thank you that that through your death and resurrection, we have amazing promises in you. Promises that no matter what happens to us, you are working to the good, that you will be there for us, that you will change and shape us, and that ultimately, no matter how things end here on earth, we know that we have a delightful inheritance in you. And I really pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would come and bring your peace and comfort to anyone here this morning who is struggling, struggling with pain, struggling with suffering. God, I pray that you would intervene in situations this morning, that you would be at work in people's lives, Father, that you would be changing situations, God, that are out of our control. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for the cross. That is our hope, God. We come to you this morning and we say we love you. Thank you for your great sacrifice. Thank you that you are a God who is alive and who is at work. We put our hope and trust in you. If there's anyone who's needing prayer this morning, um, I'm going to just ask that a few of our leaders be at the sides just to pray for you. If you are feeling you need prayer in the midst of your pain and struggles, um, that God would intervene and change those circumstances, um, we would love to invite you to come for prayer.